10 listeners out there. We are here at the Never Sleeps Network for the second episode of The Potato Files. Nice. <laughs> My guest this week is actor, comedian, chicken wing enthusiast, Mr. K. Trevor Wilson. How you doing, Trev? Good, bud. How are you? Very well, very well. You may know K. Trevor Wilson from the Crave TV hit show Letterkenny and recently on Roast Battles on Comedy Central. And um, now he's here in the Never Sleeps bedroom to talk about his life. Yeah. Uh, everything good, bud? Yeah, no, everything's good. Uh, busy as fuck. You are, uh, you are a very busy man. Things are good, obviously. Yeah. Things are going well. Uh, getting ready to remount the Sex, Drugs, and Comedy Tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. With uh, BOG. And, uh, Is that uh, one of your Ryan first Denise. tours you ever did? Yeah, that tour came around right about at a time I was thinking I should probably go back to school <laughs> and uh, and learn a trade or something. And then uh, Ryan Denis called me up and uh, asked me if I wanted to do this sex, drugs, and comedy tour. He had, uh, well, it wasn't named Sex, Drugs, and Comedy at the time. We came up with that name because we thought, uh, oh, what a cool way to market ourselves. And then we realized not everyone wants to book a show called Sex, Drugs, and Comedy. <laughs> and uh, schools won't add advertise a sex drugs and comedy show and uh, you, you, know, you once, still decided once you to bring it back sex eh? and drugs well now we're older we don't give a fuck <laughs> now they'll book us everyone will book us <laughs> you were gonna go back to school be a tradesman come on well i was gonna i was probably gonna go into broadcasting yeah, that'd be good. You, you know, got the voice and, for and it. up in, you know, radio. I figured I just needed a different angle because uh, I'd had a bunch of stuff that I was sort of counting on, all clicking, uh, seemingly uh, uh, not happen. And I was feeling pretty down. So I was like, tomorrow I should call dad, see if he can help me uh, go back to school. And then I got a call from uh, Ryan Denis and then got an email from Gary Rideout saying they had an opening at Sketchfest if my troop wanted to do it. The next day, I got a call from my agent saying that uh, I'd been asked back to do Billable Hours Season 3, and I decided maybe I should hold off on going back to school for a while. And what, you, what like, how many um, years ago was this? That was the... Eight or ten. Because you've been at this, you've been, well, show business, I guess. You can call it that in Canada. Uh, 20 sure. years. 20 plus years in show business. Your first IMDb credit is 1996 Goosebumps. Yeah. Was that the one where you were a bully or was that the one where you shit in the bathroom? And- well, I, I played a bully in both of them. In both of them, but a different uh, character. Only, it was only, not a recurring role. I only shit in the bath, in the fake bathroom in one of them. Uh, 96... That would have been... Like 14, 15? Yeah, yeah. So, well, when, uh, how old so were you 96 you, would have been the first one. How old were you when you started acting? Like, obviously, it takes a while to Well, I mean, I started doing, started doing classes uh, and stuff when I was uh, in grade school. So I was probably uh, grade six or seven when I started taking classes at Young People's Theater in downtown Toronto and uh, doing summer programs at uh, John G. Althouse, where they had an acting camp. Oh, nice. My first IMDb credit is is Goosebumps, but the first thing I, I ever filmed just to get experience was a, a Canadian film company short called Day Pass. Okay. Where I played a, uh, a drunken older brother. To How a old kid. are you at this time? I was, I was 14. The thing was, it was, it took place at a country wedding, so my character was sneaking booze any chance he got, and by the end of it was completely hammered. Um <laughs> Sounds yeah. like me and my weddings. That was like the first thing I, I filmed as a professional actor, but I, I don't think the money was any good. I did go through your IMDb page. So tell me about um, Exhibit A: Secrets of Forensic Science. That was a was really, it like one of those like crazy like the dramatic remake. Well, it's a that, crime reenactment yeah, yeah, show right, hosted right. by Graham Greene, and uh, it's all true crimes that were solved using forensics. And I got the job because I straight up look like the murdered kid. <laughs> so you played a dead body. I played him while he was alive oh, okay. and, and How'd he die? messed up story. Uh, these two guys who were volunteering at a boys and girls club stumbled into the, uh, they were setting up for like a, a banquet or something and then stumbled into uh, an ex-employee and his criminal buddy trying to break into the safe at this like youth center. Okay. And uh, the, the two guys, uh, one of them had a, a brought an elephant rifle marched the two guys into the boiler room and uh uh, shot them and like uh bashed their skulls in with the butt of the gun Jeez. yeah yeah and the the crime was solved because uh a sizable chunk of wood off the hilt of the gun popped off and the 
forensics found that and then they found the gun uh, so they tossed it in a lake or something to get rid of it and uh, it washed up and they matched the wood to the gun and then they matched the uh, fingerprints to uh, one of the criminals was one of the guys was already in the system i always figure if you watch enough of these shows you're gonna figure out how to kill somebody and get away with it yeah well, they didn't they didn't have those shows i guess and these guys and the saddest part was there was 18 dollars in the safe <laughs> well worth it you did a bunch of one-offs. Uh, I'm just going through your IMDb credits here. It's a few TV movies. What's Darcy's Wild Life? That was your first recurring role. That was a show for NBC's Discovery, sort of their uh, their Saturday morning kids programming. Okay. And it was a sitcom uh, geared at tweens and, and preteens about uh, a girl played by, uh, what, was the, what was the lead's name? It's so long ago. Sarah Paxton. And it was all shot here? Uh, it was a shot uh, out in a farm in like uh, just outside of Brampton. Uh, and it was set in a fake small town. And so Darcy, played by Sarah, was the daughter of a Hollywood starlet. And the mom fed up with uh, paparazzi and the go, go, go Hollywood lifestyle decides to move her and her daughter out to the country for peace and quiet. So <laughs> Darcy, who's, you know... Uh, Paris Hilton type, uh, well, Junior Paris Hilton. Without she's the, gotta live out in the sticks. She's yeah, furious that she's got to live out in the sticks, far away from the Hollywood glamour. But uh, makes friends with the local veterinarian's daughter and ends up working, uh, helping out around the vet clinic. It was all shot on the farm. Like they built this uh, like fake small town. At least a, a number of stores and shops. They built the sets like uh, out on the back of this farm property, and the gimmick was every week there was a new animal on the show uh, that either they were treating or was being focused on, and that's where the wildlife comes ah. in. <laughs> so I did, I think, three or four episodes over two seasons with them uh, playing Deuce, and uh, it was a mumbling hillbilly part. I essentially did my addition. I straight up. Like the the director explained to me what I wanted, and I was like, "So, do you want me to just do like Boomhauer from King of the Hill?" <laughs> and he's like, "I've actually never seen that show, so I don't have a frame of reference for that." And I was like, "Okay, you know, so do you want me to talk like come around here? I was going to over there, and that they're cooler there, man." He's like, "That's exactly what I want." I'm like, "Well, then, yes, I can do that." Um, at least you, you, your name was Deuce on that. That's uh, better than some of your other IMDb yeah, names. Yeah, I had like a name on that yeah, one. Yeah, Fat Bellied Man was yeah. another thing. Uh, fat Guy at Edition. Did you? get the addition uh no no <laughs> beefy guy number two that's uh that's one of my favorites uh, whatever was, happened to beefy guy number one is what i what was scott I was, mccrickard i don't know scott uh, he's an actor and a comedian he used to run an open mic out in the east end okay yeah fat bellied man that was uh score the hockey musical <laughs> that was my role opposite nelly Furtado. <laughs> and then your fat guy at audition that was for the movie uh desperately seeking santa okay which uh, starred uh, Laura Vandervoot, uh, who played Supergirl on uh, Smallville. Fuck, your memory is insane, man. Yeah, some CW hunk was on that, and that was a, a movie where uh, she worked as, at the mall as like the event planner, and to boost attendance for Christmas time shopping, they decided to uh, hold auditions for a hunky Santa. <laughs> and, and my character goes, uh, fat guy at audition was uh, me with uh, Santa's face painted on my stomach, making my belly button talk. <laughs> well, let's not leave a uh, pot dealer on satisfaction. That's uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. I remember shooting that one because that was the uh, day that uh, Boston came back and the. Th and whooped the Leafs in the playoffs <laughs> in one of the most embarrassing examples of Maple Leaf hockey, but really There's incredible execution. There's a lot execution. of embarrassing I'm examples a... of Maple Leaf hockey, though. So, uh, Actually, the uh, I used to watch Billable Hours, and I definitely remember you being on there. Yeah, yeah, that was Stacy. It was always on after Trailer Park Boys. I was hooked in there on uh, Showcase, Television Without Borders. That was a fun show. Uh, I learned a lot working on that show, just about sort of how TV works, especially in Canada. Uh, Fab uh, Filippo was one of the leads, also co-created the show, and uh, actually directed the very last episode uh, in season three. Uh, but it was a fun group. Got to work with uh, Brendan Furla and, and Mike Beaver. And, and uh, it was funny because uh, on the show, uh, Mike's real-life wife was the, the female lead. And, and in the show, she was always disgusted by him. <laughs> 
It's easy writing, though. Mike can actually fart on command. An interesting fact about Mike Beaver. So I think I got one in the chamber right now. I'll, uh, I'll keep it in there, though. I guess for acting, after all that, you uh, you land Letterkenny. How do you get Letterkenny? Uh, straightforward audition. Yeah? Yeah, uh, audition came across, like I got the breakdown sent to me by my agent. and Because uh, I know a few guys who auditioned for that role, and nobody's the same sort of person. Like, it, well, Who else do you know that read for, for Dan? O'Brien, Matt O'Brien, he uh, huh. he, he auditioned for that, and he's just he's yeah, I think yeah. he's well, your opposite. <laughs> uh, the Dan role was originally written for Dan Petronievich, who plays McMurray on the show. Which one's McMurray again? Uh, the the redheaded guy who always has the sunglasses backwards. Okay, and yeah, 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 yeah. Always uh, telling Jared or uh, Wayne what is what his rivals wearing. Yeah. So Dan and and. Uh, Jared and, and um, actually Alex, who plays uh, uh, one of the skids, uh, all work together on 19-2. They all play cops on that show. I mean, uh, yeah, it was originally written for Petronievich to play. And uh, luckily for me, they decided to go in a different direction with the character. And um, the new metric media guys, uh, Mark Montefiore and Pat O'Sullivan, uh, who produce Letter Kenny, uh, we had been looking for projects to uh, work on together for some time. I'd pitched them a couple show ideas. When they sort of changed direction, I think they were the ones that went to bat for me and were like, if you want a storyteller, that's what this guy yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. Sort of brought in a new element to it. And, and uh, I think we've really created a very nice... You know, a, a lovable, uh, yeah, a lovable idiot great. in Squirrely Dan. It is great. It is. Uh, I enjoy the show, and I'm looking forward to uh, season two. You guys just got picked up for season three as well. So yeah, yeah, I just got to announce that uh, they did the official announcement yesterday on uh, season three. So we're going back to work in February, doing a winter season this time. Oh, really? Yeah. Good. Good. Um, it's a right. Canadian show. We we got to do... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If, you got to show all parts of Canada. If we don't do winter, we're not really doing Canada. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, backtrack here, pal. Let's uh, let's let the people know about K-Trev. Uh, you're obviously... You're born in Etobicoke. Well, uh, born in Toronto. Born in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, raised in Etobicoke. Raised in Etobicoke. It's pretty much the... Well, it's... Well, I mean, halfway through my upbringing, it became officially a part of Toronto, so... yeah, yeah. yeah. It's no longer its own municipality. <laughs> it's just a borough. Now it's just a borough. Yeah. It's one of the nicer ones if you've been around the uh, boroughs around oh, here. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we smarted out. When we were our own, pers- when we were our own municipality, we got... Uh, we privatized the garbage pickup, so we were never victim of those uh, strikes, strikes that happened yeah, in the city yeah. that held the city for ransom. Those were uh, those were always fun. They bring out good Tim Golden jokes, those things. Uh, what did your parents do? My my dad's a, a stockbroker and a, a financial advisor. Uh, I believe he's also licensed to sell insurance, but I don't think he does that too much of that pretty comfortable upbringing then um we did okay we did okay we had some lean years you know when you lean on the stock market uh for for money you're gonna you, you take risks on either side of it and one of the things that probably hurt us the most over the years that my dad is actually an honest stockbroker <laughs> uh yeah, if, if only we were born without morals my mom would sometimes <laughs> say what uh, would your mom do mom was a teacher for a number of years and then uh when she married my dad, uh, kept teaching for a bit, and then uh, she was working out in Sarnia, so she left teaching to move to Toronto uh, to start raising a family and uh, worked for one of my dad's offices for a while as a secretary. But uh, once the kids started coming out, mom just became a stay-at-home mom. And there's four kids, right? I've met them all? Four kids, yeah. You're uh, the oldest? No, I'm the second. Steph- Stephanie is the oh, oldest. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's two boys, two girls, uh, Good mix. and the boys are in the middle. And girls are on either end. Is there a real family station wagon you guys all used to pile into? There was. Yeah. There have been several different versions of it. Wood panels on the side. Uh, at one point, uh, we didn't we didn't stick with the wood panel one for a long time though. Uh, dad was a fan of the Audi wagons. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad had a uh, Volkswagen Bug. It was a little red one, and that's what he drive the family around in. I don't even know if it had seatbelts. We were never in them. I remember there was this thing called the back. I called it the backa backa. It was this weird thing behind the back seat, and I was a very tiny child and could fit in this thing. So it's very unsafe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I always remember sitting in the uh, the trunk seats. Oh yeah, yeah staring the, out at the traffic behind yeah, us. Yeah, and- no legroom. <laughs> Not a lot. We used to take my buddy's 
mom's station wagon out when he got his license. We had nine people in at one time. We got in a car accident. But uh, um, it was just this big, huge old Buick boat, wood panels. It was uh, it was good times. You can really pile them in there. Um, what about religion? You guys grew up religious, obviously. You uh, you have the your big famous joke about the penis game in church. Yeah. Well, when we when I was born, we were Christian scientists, and uh, both my mom and dad had been brought up in the Christian Science Church. Mom had already, you know, sort of checked out uh, when we were kids. We just didn't know. Uh, but uh, checked she out had, of Christian Science. Or yeah, checked, checked out, out of Christian Science. Um, well, her, her dad died when she was seventeen, and she was never very impressed with the church uh after that just taken to the hospital <laughs> well he did go to the hospital and then they you know got treated badly by the other parishioners oh, they found out and uh by the church for uh for, for seeking medical attention uh but yeah she so she but she went because you know my dad still went and then like all of our friends and family still went and then eventually i think one day dad just you know, sort of had an epiphany that this was horseshit. <laughs> and uh, at least the not going to the doctor part of Christian science. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, my dad didn't have a physician until he was Some in his weird 30s. weird name for a religion, Christian science, and they're completely against science. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> it's amazing how stupid people can be. Does this church still exist? Like, can you find... Like- oh, yeah, yeah. They have a great big... Uh, University in, in uh, the Seattle area, uh, Prin, which is, I'm fairly certain, just a brainwashing camp. <laughs> uh, my aunt, actually, for a while, uh, was one of the people that the church sent out to get rid of any negative. They have people, uh, volunteers, that are tasked with the job of, if someone writes unflattering things about the Christian Science Church, they're to find it and gather it all and destroy it. So they take books out of libraries and burn them and... They'll do fundraisers to buy all the copies of books and get rid of them. Uh, God's Little Miracles is a great book to read if you're curious at all about Christian science and how fucked up it is. I don't think I'm curious at all. Uh, Kelsey Grammer was also brought up a Christian scientist, and so was Ellen DeGeneres. Really? I was raised Catholic, and now I don't pay attention. Yeah. yeah. We eventually switched to the United Church. And my parents uh still involved in the church, but I think it's mostly just because dad likes the choir. Mm. And uh, again, it's like, you know, a social place where my mom can meet up with her friends. Yeah. And, uh, Your family loves the arts. Like, uh, I would love to see a F- Wilson family karaoke night. It's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> we've uh, There's like one in memory that we've had where mom and dad stayed up late enough to come to the bar with us for karaoke. But my brother, uh, Carl, and, and my younger sister, Brittany, and I have uh, uh, frequented the karaoke bars. <laughs> Were you always a big kid? Or did uh, that come later? I mean, if you see like real young pictures of me, I just look like everybody else. Started uh, filling out probably just before puberty, putting on the pounds, and then... Yeah, when puberty hit, I just, you know, my shoulders got gigantic. Yeah. My head swole up huge. And I was already, I was already overweight, I think. But, uh, but yeah, then, then my body just sort of caught up to me, too. Were you a popular kid or did you get picked on or what? Different times. I was, uh, you know, I always had a lot of friends, but even, you know, your friends sometimes could be your great tormentors. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I did my, got my share of bullying. I probably did my share of bullying, Mm -hmm. to tell you the truth. You know, we all... Did things start changing when, like, you start showing up in commercials and stuff like that? Once uh, I went to the performing arts high school, there really wasn't anyone there to pick on me. Yeah, yeah, because everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. Being a fat guy was the least weird thing going on. And, uh, I mean, (laughs) uh, mean, one of the the guy that sat next to me in uh, uh, grade 10... English had gender reassignment, uh, went through gender reassignment before we were out of high school. Really? Adam Kelly became Kelly Adams. It's something you don't hear about, like, young people doing that. Like, Yeah, he was definitely the first person, or she now, was the first person I knew to, to, to change genders. Yeah, and in high school, that's... Uh, and I think I've known... I, 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 people I, I've known uh, have since done it, but... Uh, uh, Kelly was, uh, very aware of herself even back then. And yeah, I went to an arts high school. So a lot of guys. Yeah. I went to a small town high school. Like if you were gay, you didn't fucking tell anybody. 
Yeah, no, you could sing it loud and proud at my school. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. It was, uh, we, we had the small town mentality, um, which I'm glad I've left since, and I can. I'm, I've grown up as a person, you know. So in my school, if you were like a mean sort of jock. Uh, you were made fun of. <laughs> <laughs> go back to the football field, loser. <laughs> so why don't you go play your sports? <laughs> you're not a real artist. Oh, that's funny. So you're whole th- you're you're in high school. You start getting a commercial. I remember. I think you told me you were in that Pizza Pops commercial with Jay Baruchel. I yeah, re- yeah, that's how I met Jay. I remember that commercial so vividly, where it was where his stomach was growling. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember. I was the guy who got covered in water when the uh, fish tank exploded. Okay, because I, I, I remember Jay Baruchel because when I started seeing him in uh, Popular Mechanics for yeah. Kids, which. I think I was too old to be watching, but I had a huge crush on Alicia Cuthbert. We all did. <laughs> and uh, and then I was like, that's a guy from the Beats Pops commercial. And then, you know, watch him flourish. And then full circle, you end up doing a movie with him a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, we did, where I played Beefy Guy number two. Beefy uh, Guy number two. <laughs> uh, sort of reconnected with him through social media because I kept tweeting at him that I'm on set, but you're not here. <laughs> uh, it was crazy because I, I ran into him uh, on, a, on a flight earlier this year coming back from Montreal. And uh, I was like, oh, there's Jay. I should go say hi. But I didn't want to, like, you know, out him in front of the rest of the, the flight. Mm-hmm. And then Jay got up to use the washroom and saw me. And he came over and, I, you know, I fucking love Letter Kenny. Good to see you again, bud. And nice, nice. We got to talking and, you know, yeah, yeah, the... Talked about, reminisced about the Pizza Pops ad, and uh, ended up inviting me to his house for a barbecue. We had a great time. Where's he live? He's in Toronto now. He's a Toronto guy? Yeah, yeah. He moved, uh, very famously moved out of uh, Montreal. He loves his hometown. Like, he's a Montreal guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, the politics just finally got to him. The language police stuff and the, yeah. the, the, so much corruption. I don't like it up there. We won't get it. <laughs> I don't speak French. I don't speak to the French. Um, so when does the uh, when does the focus shift from acting to comedy? Well, when I was finishing up high school, sort of looking at what to do next, I was you know I knew I wanted to go into you know uh, the arts. Like I knew to go sketch first acting. Um, well, improv actually. Improv. Uh, I, me and my buddy Matt Park, uh, when we were fourteen, signed up for the Second City training course and we were at one point the youngest people ever to uh, take improv at, at least in the in toronto because at the time they didn't offer youth or teen classes it was so it was us and, and adults i think the closest person to our age uh was 19 and you're out you're just leaving high school. I, I was 14 when i when i started at uh second city oh shit and that was just because i was i always loved comedy and and and, and improv and uh you know, Mike Myers and, and every and so many people had come through Second City that I, I knew I wanted to to train there. I take you just like me. We're we're a year apart. You obviously yeah. watched SCTV growing up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, John Candy's the reason I got into acting. Mm-hmm. He's you know, Uncle Buck. I think was the movie I was watching when I figured out that that was his job. <laughs> I did the, the Second City training course, and uh, actually, funny story, like, no one assumed we were as young as we were, just because we were there, because we were doing it, and yeah. we were, you know, we, you know, we weren't shy. We were we were up and, uh, you know, part of every improv, and I got I got hit on <laughs> by, by one of the ladies in the class, and... Uh, I'm 14. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. She was like, you know, essentially, it was just, you know, would I be interested in getting together and, and working on stuff? And I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, I'd probably have to ask my mom. Who, <laughs> she was like, how old are you? I was like, oh, I just turned 15. Uh, and like the color just went out of her face. And she's like, I am 30. <laughs> I am literally twice your age. <laughs> My mom can drop us off if your mom can pick us up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did. So I did that. But uh, uh, the stand up started when I graduated high school. I, I applied. Uh, well, you know, before I didn't apply for all the courses, I applied for. Uh, a lot of theater courses. And then my buddy found you know, the Humber School of Comedy in the resource book. And I looked at it and I'm like, that's perfect. Was like, this, uh, this was early in the program too, right? Yeah, this was, uh, the first, 
time they offered a two-year class. So okay. they'd previously, the year I applied, uh, they were running their very first one-year program, the post-grad, uh, which was a class that included uh, Sam Easton, Mark Forward, uh, Mike Palazzo, Jason Rouse, Deborah DiGiovanni. Some people went on to do some pretty cool shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I signed up for that, and like I, that's what I wanted to do. I, I, I love uh, drama, but through theater, like through all my years in uh, majoring in drama in high school, we glazed over comedy, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, you know, we did not... He was like, here's a semester we do on comedy. And then the rest of the stuff was, God, I could have used that two semesters less of absurdist theater. That's for <laughs> sure. So I really wanted to, because I figured comedy was how I was getting into it. You know, I'm yeah. not, I, You're uh, not a leading man. Not, not by the traditional sense. Yeah. <laughs> no. So that's what I wanted to do uh, more than anything. And, and my mom was dead set on me going to university. Uh, what about your dad? I'm not sure if my dad really cared as long as I was happy and working. How does your mom want you to go to university when you're coming from theater school, you know? Like, it's... Well, I mean... It would have to be theater and university, right? I had I had pretty good grades, like, not fantastic, but I graduated a couple courses with honors. Uh, I definitely, you know, could have been an English major. She was always pushing for me to go into, like, law. I think she wanted me to be an entertainment lawyer. And that way I could be in entertainment, but I could still have stability. But I just, I, I knew myself. And if uh, I had, if I set myself up with too big of a mat to fall back on, I wasn't going to get off the mat. I remember my uh, my buddy's dad, when that Humber program started, he was showing it to me. Like, he, uh, he was reading up on it. And he was like, you should do this. And this was back in 1999, I guess. Yeah, that would have been it. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, this is what you should be doing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then I didn't. And I waited 10 years to actually get on yeah. stage, which is stupid. But uh, yeah, I went, to, I went to television broadcasting school. And I was like, well, I'll just do that. And then they'll give me a TV show. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not how that works at all. No, no. <laughs> For sure not. They give you a, they give you a nice cubicle after that uh, two year program, eight thousand dollar education. Yeah, no, I, I definitely thought I was going to be go the route of sketch when uh, when I got into Humber and the sort of the first you know couple months there. Me and some of my buddies who like, like, one of my friends from uh, from ESA also got in uh, to their program and uh, uh, met a couple other you know made some quick friends there and. We were like, well, if we're going to be here, we might as well try everything. So we we all started writing our stand up sets. And how old are you? First time you do straight up stand up? I would have been nineteen. Yeah, but you're already used to being on stage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been doing theater school, like majoring in drama for five years. I'd done monologue recitals, and uh, you know, like uh, been a part of a number of shows. Uh, so yeah, being on stage, I had no problem with, but it's really different when you're writing your own shit. And, uh, you like I'd written sketches before and comedy skits and short plays for class and had them performed and performed in them. But, uh, I mean, again, you're sort of in the safety net of a yeah, school yeah, yeah. when you're out there in a club for paying customers, you know, they're not going to clap to be polite. Exactly. So I, my first show was, uh, probably early 2000 out in Ajax uh, back when they still had an amateur night because it was just easier to get up in Ajax. You Mm -hmm. call into downtown and you might get up once a month, but that was the best you could do was once a month. And even then, you know, uh, you sort of had to, back then Jack Norman was still running it and uh, you had to sort of meet Jack and then, He'd tell you something to say to him when when you called in to remind him that I started finally getting on on the uh, Yuck Yucks uh, downtown amateur nights after I met Jack drunk at the uh, Canadian Comedy Awards. And uh, he was like, why don't you get him to call into the club? I'm like, I call in all the time. He just never put me on. He's like, well, next time you call in, just say that. Uh, remind me who you are and tell me that I met you at that asshole party full of assholes <laughs> and I'll remember who you are. And so that was my code word for a long time with Jack Norman. I'd call him up and be like, Hey Jack, it's Kay Trevor. I met you at that asshole party full of assholes. Wondering if I could get a set and, uh, 
Oh, sorry, I completely gazed over this. When does the K get added to the name? Uh, when I started, when I uh, became an apprentice member of Actress. So okay. Not long. You right just needed the, something because there was another Trevor Wilson. There's another Trevor Wilson. Uh, so I, I was very quickly established. I couldn't be Trevor Wilson. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we tossed around a couple ideas. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to go too far from my real name. Like, I didn't want to have some crazy. Yeah, weird stage made name. Made up stage name. Uh, and my agent, Mary Swinton, came up with the idea of tossing the K out in front. It's my middle initial. Uh, naturally, and uh, Kingsley created this. Uh, you know, it had a nice sound to it, and we weren't even thinking. You know, because it was like the mid nineties, we weren't even thinking about what web marketing was going to be in social media. But mm-hmm. I ended up being the only K Trevor Wilson I found on the internet. Yeah, so. it's uh, it's definitely a good handle. It's uh, definitely distinctive. Mm-hmm. Like it's just one word, K Trev. Now, and people know who you are. Sarah Silverman calls me K. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. <laughs> I saw well, when I watched the roast battles, everyone was like, calling you K, and I was just like, just say K, Trev. <laughs> I gotta ask you uh, when we are uh, when we are up north, and I break out the old um, SNL Trivial Pursuit. How the fuck do you know so much about that TV show? Like uh, you're answering questions like who wrote the skit in 1983, starring like Eddie Murphy, and you, you know writer. Like it's it's. You know too much about that show. It was an obsession of mine. I, I, I mean, I think like everyone, you discover that show at some point when you're. What uh, generation did you come in at? I discovered it uh, during the first catch I ever saw was uh, Wayne's World. Oh, nice. nice. Uh, Candace Bergen played uh, Garth's mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I always love it because uh, they they have the the sort of the takeoff on the graduate. I think where uh, Wayne is dreaming about being seduced. By Garth's hot mom, and uh, <laughs> it's like uh, she offers him a coffee, and uh, how do you take your coffee? Like, I like my coffee like I like my women, cream and two sugars. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, this is around, I guess, like probably late eighties, early nineties, early nineties, like when Hartman's on his way. Like Hartman's the established guy. Hartman and then still had a couple more years, and then Farley and those uh, guys start coming in. Farley and because I remember that that same episode, I think had a Gap Girls uh, okay. sketch on it. So. Uh, yeah, Sand- Sandler and Spade and Farley and Rock uh, mm-hmm. would have just have joined the cast. I remember watching before those guys, and then when they came in, I was just like... I Julius, was- uh, Julius Sweeney would have been there. I think Jan Hooks might have still been on the cast, uh, but she left soon after to join the cast of Designing Women. But yeah, that's, so that's when I started, and it just really became like I loved the comedy, and, mm-hmm. and then I just sort of, you know... I'd, I'd I'd look for it and it'd find uh-huh. these reruns, and I got I think watching it one night and and it was like they showed a rerun from the seventies. Well, and, yeah, I loved when you would if you stayed up to the end, then you could watch a super old one after. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And then you're up to like three in the morning. And you're like, just so yeah. Up. So that's what I started doing. Like, God, that, that's one of the reasons I I really started rebelling against church was because I'd stay up so late on Saturday watching comedy. Uh, you didn't want to. That I'd be exhausted when, you know, they try to rouse me out of bed for to go to church. And I was like, no, I'm you know, just, I don't want to go to church. My church happens at <laughs> 1130 on yeah, Saturday night. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, did you watch the very old episodes with Belushi? And uh, I remember also, because uh, I was a big Eddie Murphy stand-up fan. My buddy Ian Fosbear and I loved uh, uh Everything Eddie Murphy did, and he had a VHS copy of the best of Eddie Murphy, and he always bragged about it. And then I found it at the video store one day, and I watched. I, I'd, I'd rent the clip uh, tapes. I think even before I saw an actual episode, I would rent the the you know, like the clips of uh, tapes at the video store, and uh, and watch like oh man the Mister Robinson ep, uh, uh, sketches. Buckwheat and Gumby. Still at my parents' place, if I go there, they 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 don't throw anything out. They're hoarders. But I can still grab my old tapes. I used to have uh, Best of Letterman, like uh, when he was on Late Night, like after uh, after Tonight Show. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to watch those when I was a kid. Loved Letterman. I, used to, I remember when I was a kid, I could only stay up Friday nights to watch him because you got school. But once the summer hit, I was up every night till one uh, thirty. Me and my buddy Kenny Lockhart were Arsenio fans. <laughs> we were big fans of Arsenio. But yeah, yeah. So I, I became obsessed with uh, SNL. I mean, I really thought that's what I was going to do. That's how I was going to. I've auditioned for it twice, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never I made got it here down there. I've never made it past the sending in the tape phase, but I've, it's never been an unsolicited tape. Oh, okay. Uh, it's been you know through my agents. And I really thought that was the avenue I was going to go. I, I self tape awfully. Like I really, yeah. I really should get a coach. You think you're too old now? No, uh, Hartman was older than me when he joined the cast. Yeah? Uh, Is that something you'd still want to do, though? If the opportunity came up, uh, I'd, I would definitely do it, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. It would be crippling and exhausting, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I, I just I loved everything that SNL uh, has been and was and is. So I'd, I'd, I'd just read books on it. There's a coffee table book or... And I, on the, you know, official book. And then, of course, the Live from New York, the collection of uh, interviews that they did. Uh, it was a great read. Yeah, uh, I read that one. It was great. So besides the fact that I've, you know, tried to watch just about uh, as many episodes as I possibly can of the show, I've also read volumes about its history and its inner workings. Uh, so, in, yeah, the, a thing you like SNL, watching? Trivial Pursuit. Uh, yeah, we we actually we tape it, uh, we yeah. PVR it, and uh, you know I don't catch every episode anymore, but I still still watch it. I don't think I can't remember the last time I watched a full episode. It's now it's whatever goes viral shows up on Facebook the next day. That's the only sketches I ever watch anymore. Yeah, I still like the Weekend Update. It's always funny though because like, who's you know, your favorite Weekend Update guy? I think uh, uh, I mean I, I fell in love. I love Norm. Yeah, normal. But I don't know if he's the best Weekend Update guy as much as I just love Norm. Yeah. The first one I remember was Kevin Nealon. And then going back, you sort of, you know, for a lot of people, they were like Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller was my first guy. guy. But I started watching The Dancing Statue of Liberty at the start? I just started watching it when Nealon had taken over. So for me, he was sort of the imprinted in my head as the... uh, and I remember when they took him off the desk and put Norm on it, he was still on the show. And I thought, geez, that's kind of, uh-huh. you kind of know you're on the way out when <laughs> they take you off the, I mean, what, geez, what's he got left? Franz? Like, <laughs> um, Neilan's still great. I, I, Colin Quinn was an underrated weekend update host. Uh-huh. And especially during the uh, election, he would open it up with like some stand-up. He'd be standing in front of the desk. Out in front of the open, almost monologue, do a small, uh, like a small bit to start off the show. And then they do the weekend update credits and he'd go sit at the desk. And I think Quinn suffered from a, uh, following Norm in that very public, you know, yeah. weird way that, you know, like, you know, normally it transitions a lot easier. And, uh, uh, cause it was a, Norm was pissed that he got taken off, and, and well, he got, essentially got, he, he got fired right off. Like no, 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 he got taken off update first. Oh, okay, and then he got he was mad because that was the only thing he liked doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't like the sketches. I, I, I've listened to a lot of uh, podcasts and interviews with Norm, and there's a part of me that's like, man, does he have Aspergers or something? Because. <laughs> The way he talks and the way he like uh, uh, talks about how he talks to people, he's just like he doesn't consider their feelings or thoughts at all, and is just like, uh, you yeah, know, he just blurts stuff out. He'd just be like, "That's stupid," and I hate it. And <laughs> so they they took him off the uh, the weekend update, and he just started like he just started tanking sketches on purpose. I remember watching a, a sketch where it was like uh, Sarah Michelle Geller was the host. And it was like a bunch of girls at a slumber party. And it was like the, they were all, uh, Tiger Beat magazine subscribers. And, uh, there was like a talk show that they had where they talked about, uh, their favorite cute boys from Tiger Beat. And Norm McDonald was on as the director of a movie 
starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> and he comes on and they ask him, you know, about uh, what was it like working with Jonathan Taylor Thomas? And he was like, the whole joke was like, oh, I have such a crush. Here is a picture of us if we were married. And Norm's got this fake mustache on. And in the middle of the sketch, he just pulls this mustache off. <laughs> And he was like, this mustache isn't even real. <laughs> the man who sold it to me, he said that, said that it would be a very convincing fake, but no one bought it. <laughs> and you just see the like the, all the women in the sketch are like, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> Norm's gone rogue. I remember reading the book, uh, the SNL book. Was it Damon Wayans who kind of railroaded a sketch? And uh, Lauren was not impressed by that at all. Yeah, he was a sketch where Damon Wayans uh, was like a featured player. Yeah, and he came out and he acted all flamboyant. And he, all he got were like one lines yeah. here and there. And uh, he'd been there for almost a year and was just not enjoying it at all. And so he was playing this this cop and he had two lines and he just decided to play swishy and super gay. Yeah. And it got the only laugh of the sketch. <laughs> It was his two lines were the only funny parts of the whole sketch. I remember reading it and Lauren was not impressed at you all. You know, Lauren, I think, fired him as soon as he got, or as soon as the show was done, if not sooner. And, uh, of course, but that led to him getting uh, cast in Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, enough of this SNL stuff. Let's get back to your favorite thing, uh, talking about you. Nice. <laughs> okay, so when does, uh, when does things start clicking for the stand-up? Like, it's... You said you you got years of doing it, and then you do this before the sex, drugs, and comedy tour, right? Like it's like was the sex, drugs, and comedy tour? That's when you were like, okay, let's get on track here. Sex, drugs, and comedy. It was it was a real awakening uh, as to what I a lot of what I needed to do to continue doing it. I when I started out, you know, like uh, in, in Humber and coming out of Humber. I, my focus was split. I was trying to do everything. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I had. Uh, so I was getting up and doing stand-up, uh, and I was like two years in, so of course I thought I was the best and should just be getting book shows mm -hmm. and didn't want to do open mics anymore. <laughs> and I was, uh, and my sketch troupe smells like the 80s, and and acting was actually, you know, not doing too bad. Back. I mean, I think right around that time is when Darcy's Wildlife happened. So, I mean, things were going pretty good, but it was... Sort of a realization a few years in that I needed to pick one yeah, to yeah. focus on. We'd uh, we had great dreams and goals for Smells Like the Eighties. Like we wrote a we wrote a movie together and we developed a, a TV show pitch together and and we had all these things. Uh, even though we had uh, a revolving membership, mm -hmm. I mean the 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 core was me and, and Curtis and Cameron, but uh, we had a bunch of people. Come and Coming go. and going, yeah. I think probably our, our best lineup was the the final one with Sean Jordan. Uh, no offense to Michelle or Shaughnessy or Caroline who were in the first uh, incarnation, but they just, uh, Cam and Curtis and I all had the, the same comedic sensibilities. Like, what made us laugh made us laugh, and... and Carolyn and Michelle didn't always get it. And then it just became this, this riff of like, you know, like I remember Michelle got mad once cause, uh, uh, we weren't writing her like really good. We weren't writing her really good parts. Came was like, well, I've known Trevor for 10 years. So it's easier for me to write for him. And, 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 but also we're, we're mostly writing for our, like, like I, I if I wanted a good part, I wrote it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and vice versa but eventually all the girls left the troupe and and we became three guys for a bit and then we started adding new members again because we had a bunch of four-handers that still made us laugh that we wanted to do <laughs> but anyways yeah so i was doing a lot of things uh okay but nothing really well about a year or so before sex drugs and comedy I, t I decided I hadn't told anyone, but I decided on my own uh, that I was going to start focusing more on, on stand up mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, at least getting out as often as I could. And that led to uh, sex, drugs and comedy happening. And then and then everything started to everything. Like how many years ago it started clicking? I remember like because when I came into comedy, like you were already pretty established 
And uh, I remember right when I got in, you, I think you won the comedy brawl. Yeah, drunk, I think, I think then, about 10 years ago, I, I started like showing up every week. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I started being at, at rooms consistently and, and getting my my name and face yeah. out there more and uh you know show probably did my first showcase for for breslin back then and uh then it was like the, the sex drugs and comedy tour was really we, we, we pissed people off mm-hmm. like yuck yucks tried to shut us down all the time they'd call the venues and like if they did any business with them They'd threatened them to, for having our show booked. And, uh, and luckily, a few guys went to bat for us and were like, you don't ever tell me what to do and go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. And finally, he just uh, got smart and hired two of us, uh, signed Denis and O'Gorman. And that, and that effectively, not me or Merhez, <laughs> and that effectively killed the, uh, the tour. But uh, we'd... Uh, and. Uh, it's this weird thing that we we did ourselves and we set up and it was like, you know, it was Ryan Denise's brainchild. He's like, I know bar owners. I know how to mm-hmm. uh, get these things set up. Because, but he was like two years into stand-up. So he got me and O'Gorman and Merhez because we were all more experienced yeah, stand-ups yeah, yeah. than him. And, uh, yeah, the four of us just went on the road and... and uh, I mean, it was just these, we were doing, we we were learning as we went. Like, you know, we got fucked over a couple times and things didn't go exactly, you know, we slept in the car, but everyone was paying attention to like, like comics were messaging us about how do they get on it. And we, we even created a fake guy to run uh, requests through. Uh, he's, he's the boss. Talk to him. Yeah. Bill Manny. <laughs> Actually, Bill's got a few emails of mine he didn't return. <laughs> Bill Bill Manny was uh, the fake guy we created. Uh, like he does all the booking, so so if you want to do the shows, send an email to Bill Manny. And uh, people rarely did, but it, it took the pressure off of uh, us because it wasn't. And then we didn't have to tell our friends no, we can't afford to. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, so things are going good. Comedy, uh, you start making a name for yourself here in Toronto. Obviously, you win the comedy brawl twice. Yeah, yeah. Get your first uh, JFL. What year started, was your uh, first JFL? I got, I got um, Winnipeg first. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Winnipeg. Winnipeg was 2011, and Winnipeg was really, uh, really the, the the start of the snowball. Yeah, that's your first TV uh, taping. Yeah, uh, and, and that came about doing Boyd's Mushroom Show, which is um, still a fun show to do. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was the weekend after Erwin Barker's memorial. Okay, and uh, that's what brought everybody uh, into town. Uh, and so Boyd invited he, Boyd always asked me to do the show, but he'd always ask me when we were you know smoking pot together. Mm-hmm. So I'd show up to the show, and he'd have to- totally forgot oh, he asked me to do you're it. On, yeah, <laughs> and so Boyd really gave me a trial by fire. Like at the time, I was like, I can't believe he's making me do this. But like now, there's a part of me is like, fuck, I owe him a steak dinner for making me do that. Because mm-hmm. he'd he'd throw me up after two heavyweights. Oh, he did that to me one time, and it was. Uh we're all on mushrooms and I was, uh, I wasn't, I was still kind of new at stand up, you know? And he was like, he's like, Hey baby, we got uh, a little lull in the show. You mind giving me 15? And I was like, I was just high on shrooms. Like, I guess so. <laughs> and I just went out there and he's, that's the kind of guy Boyd is. So he, uh, yeah, I'd show up and be like, okay, babe, I totally forgot. Let me figure out where I can put you. And then he'd float around the room <laughs> and he'd come back. Okay. I got to put you on at the end. So it's going to be Scott Thompson, then Kenny Robinson, then you. <laughs> so another time, it's like, okay, babe, I'm sorry. I forgot again. So it's going to be uh, Mike Wilmont, then Tim Steves, then you. And, the, and so many times. So, yeah, I, I showed up again, booked for the show, but he'd asked everybody from the memorial to do it. So it was like all the comics from across Canada. Mm-hmm. And like George Westerholm and and uh, Al Ray at the time, I think they did one of their like old bits from when they were a duo. I followed just all the comics. And uh, Boyd again put me up at the end and told me to go to town. And I I told the Swingers Club story, yeah, which was still pretty new 
at the time. Afterwards, had a, a good half-hour chat with uh, Al, who's now Laura Ray, and um, told me that uh, uh, we exchanged information, said to be in touch, and they're uh, going to try to get me a, a spot on the Winnipeg Fest. And, and that was right around the time, too, that Comedy Records was still in its infancy. I got uh, my first JFL showcase I got because Matt O'Brien couldn't do it. And we were on the road together, me, Matt, and Barry doing uh East Coast tour. Matt got a call from or a message from Zoe and, and Morgan asking him if he could you know, if he wanted to do the, the, the JFL showcase at the Rivoli. And he was like, Oh man, that's the week I I have to go to uh, California for uh, genius training for because he worked at the Apple Store. Yeah, and he's like, that guy. There's no way I can do it. I can't get out of it. And I'm like, Matt, is it cool if I hit them up and try to get your spot? And he was like, Yeah, no problem. So uh, when we got into the hotel, I immediately sent them both messages saying, you know, hey, I hear there's a showcase coming up on blah 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 date. I was really wondering if I could get on and. They were like, well, unfortunately, you know, everyone's been selected. So unless someone drops out, there's really no room. And I'm like, well, I'm sitting next to Matt O'Brien and he's writing you an email explaining how he can't do the show. <laughs> so is it cool if I have Matt's spot? And, uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> and then the Winnipeg people saw me at the JFL showcase. So I didn't get JFL that year, but I, I booked Winnipeg and that was my first festival. And that, that's when the snowball started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to, you go to uh, Homegrown, you win that. Yeah. And then you come JFL 42, you open for Louie. Biggest, yeah. biggest crowd ever. Uh, yet. yeah, 3,000 people. Yeah. yeah. I was at that, your first show there. It was, uh, it was nice to see. Yeah. And after that, people started returning my emails. Yeah. And then you, you had to, uh, for years, I just, you stopped going into Kelsey's and cooking in the kitchen. You know, what's really funny is, is the day after I, I opened for Louie on this, like the second night, I was working a day shift at Kelsey's. Did you show up? I showed up. You went? I showed up. And that was, you were living with your parents, too, at the time, too. I yeah. remember that. Now you've moved on and live above a laundromat. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd gone back uh, to my parents, actually. I had lived on my own, and uh, I, I think I, I moved out too early, just impulsively trying to gain freedom. And, and uh, well, was, you, you do have, you were lucky you had that luxury of having your folks in Toronto. Like, yeah. If my parents lived in Toronto, I'd probably still be in their basement. But if my had, parents had a basement, I'd probably still be in their basement. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was back at, at Kelsey's the next day working a lunch shift. And uh, like I remember posting on Facebook that you know, yesterday I opened for the top comedian in the world in front of 3,000 people. And today I'm cooking, I'm making salads for a busy lunch rush. <laughs> How's you, that for perspective? How, uh, you didn't uh, you didn't stick around there long though. After that, eh? So I remember I remember picking you up for gigs there. Go and have yeah, a beer. I'm trying to you... uh, trying to remember if I I might have been there for was I, I I don't think I was there for another year. I think I was I think it was later on. Well, I remember because I remember this was when like me and you really started becoming friends, and uh, you said you never actually quit. You just you like take me off the schedule for a while, and then you never. No, they just took me off the schedule. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd come back from the road, from doing some road gigs, and then I'd uh, I'd booked a series of. Uh, I'd, I'd, I finally got the West to return my messages, so I had my first gigs in Calgary coming up, and uh, first gigs in Vancouver coming up. We had a the the old manager uh, was a big supporter of what I was trying to do, and. We we ended up getting a new manager who just was like, why do we have this guy around? Mm -hmm. So they couldn't fire me because I hadn't done anything wrong. And I was still technically listed as part-time, even though I'd been working full-time hours. And he just stopped. He just took me off the schedule. He just stopped giving me hours. And after a while, I just stopped calling in. Yeah. And I'm still, I think to this day, I, I still have to go in and, and finalize my termination. They, they might have some severance for you, pal. They might. They, they <laughs> might have an old... They, <laughs> you forget to pick up your last check. I never got my last check. But uh, you don't need Kelsey's money anymore. You got that good uh, Crave TV letter Kenny money coming in. 
Yeah, yeah. I no. can only imagine because Canadian television don't pay shit. Um, I can't imagine what Canadian subscriber based television pays. <laughs> it's uh, you're doing all right. The the what's the bare minimum they can pay to have you on an exclusivity <laughs> contract? <laughs> Whatever's considered the the average, you like. If you're if you're living at that, you are <laughs> you are earning a livable wage. Yeah, 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 you are above the poverty level at this wage. I, I make uh, five thousand dollars more than that <laughs> a year. <laughs> um, but it's obviously opening up huge doors for you. Um, oh yeah, uh, um, I got a, uh, another show in development with New Metric Media and Bell. Uh, got a job writing the Twitter feed for Moose Knuckle Clothing, okay, I saw that. which is uh, you know a nice salaried job that's real easy to do. How many tweets you got to do on that? Uh, three to eight a week. Three to eight a week. That's easy. Oh yeah, nice, nice. Especially when you've when I've set up my uh, system of when all else fails, just find out what stupid holiday happens today <laughs> and comment on it. Um. um and then, obviously, this past JFL, the roast battles, that's huge for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can open a lot more doors south of the border for you. And it already has. It already has. It's, uh, I've made some connections. and Because the, the roast battles are all affiliated with the comedy stores, so a lot of the guys there are, are comedy store guys. So uh, I've been told, you know, let us know when you're coming down, and, and uh, you, well, they'll definitely be stuff for you to do and made connections in new york beyond what i had and here's one thing like when i started going down to la like i knew it was going to be a grind again but i like i I just didn't see the point of of starting from zero Uh i put in a lot of work and i don't think it should matter that i did it in canada i actually i actually think that should be a credit to that i made a living in a I mean, it's because it, compared to the states, it's the wild west up here. Uh-huh. It's a lot farther between gigs, and you know, to do American. Imagine the worst gig you've ever had, and then imagine it at negative thirty. <laughs> but it's good that you can translate what you've done up here down there. Like you're not, you're not just showing up down there with your experienced act. You know, like you actually people like this guy is somebody to watch, and you don't have to go down there and prove yourself. And be like, this, this is what I've been doing for 10 years up there, you know? It's something that I, I've seen, like, you know, like Australians and Brits mm-hmm. have been able to, to cross over into America a lot easier than Canadians. Yeah, like uh, Jim Jeffries, for example. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he made his name, he's an Australian guy, made his name in England, came over here, boom. And I mean, like, I'm not saying I'm Jim Jeffries, but, you know, I've I've... There's enough blockades to get over to America. It's like now you want me to go fist fight open micers for a three minute slot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go back to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can make a living up there. I'm just here to add something new. Well, what's the what's gonna be the focus though? Like, are you like it's nice to have a TV show, but like, are you do you want to be on the stage though? Is that like? I don't think I'll ever stop doing stand-up. I yeah. mean, I, I just, because, you know, I, I tried to quit twice and it just did, did, didn't take. Mm-hmm. It's a very addicting yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thing, as you thing. know. Yeah, well, a TV show is just a vehicle to drive your stand-up, you know? Like, it's something that you can... I, I, I mean, I, I, like- I, I do love acting and I do love getting into to different characters and, and playing those roles, but you can't replace stand-up for yeah, that you- immediate... You're not reading off somebody's other somebody else's words off a page. Yeah, You're, it's, it's just it's you. all you. It's the ultimate creative art form. It's mm-hmm. or at least performative creative art form. You're it's words. It's spoken words, and and uh, there's nothing to hide behind. You, you, you know, if if my show's going bad, I can't break into a cover. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm i a huge fan of your stand-up, and I hope to watch it grow for many years. I don't know how many more years we have left. Your, uh, your <laughs> fucking body gets bigger than your ego every fucking time I see it, man. What's going on? You, you, how long do you think this can last? What'd, you, what'd your hero make it to, 43? Was it 43 for John? I think it was around 43. 
Yeah, avoid movies in New Mexico around my 43rd year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to be too, in a too hot of a climate. But I don't know, like it's well, obvious. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going in for the, I got the physical book for the end of the month. I'm going to get the, I'm going to go for the sleep test. Yeah. That's been, uh, you know, my my dad and uh, uh, mom both have sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, me too, uh, man. I just don't have the mask. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I think that's like, the key to having energy, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, get a good uh, sleep and... I don't know. We're probably going from here to put some garbage in our body, but uh, I don't know, the whole and the whole thing is too. Like, do you want to live the healthy life and be miserable until you're? Yeah, I, I'm trying to find. A, I'm trying to find a happy balance. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I definitely need to exercise more. Uh, more. But been... You need to exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Taking public transit is an exercise. <laughs> I, <laughs> I walk. <laughs> I always love when I uh, when I first started hanging out with you. Uh, we'd uh, we'd go from Vapor Central, and fucking we'd we'd be walking to the Crown, eat chicken wings, and drink beer. And the 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 timer on the uh, the stoplight would start start going. And if as soon as that hit, you just stopped walking. Like you want to run for this? You're like, nope, <laughs> no rush. Like, All right. Luckily, you're not a drug addict because uh, yeah. that would really fuck you up in the end. But uh, the cigarettes will kill you. Oh, I mean, lots of things will kill you. Everything's going to kill us. But you know what? You want to live live long and not have fun? Or do you want to enjoy yourself? And that's the whole thing. Like, I don't know. I watched a couple guys go down young. It's just like, man, they were doing everything right. Yeah. You know, and when, when it happens, it happens. I mean, uh, I probably, you know, like, I'm not living as hard as I did, mm. you know, in, in my 20s, parts of my 30s. But... Yeah, that that was a good. Uh, it was weird. It just scared me into enjoying myself. Like, yeah. like no matter what. Like, yeah, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, you got to watch it eat. But you also got to make sure you're having fun when you're here. Yeah, I know. Um, I think uh, it, it, it's finding that balance. Finding that uh, that balance between enjoying yourself and like I'm not in great health, but I'm not in poor health. Like people talk like I'm about to fall over tomorrow. <laughs> No, like I get checkups. Like I, I'm. <laughs> the whole thing is to, especially being a comedian, a fat comedian, which we both are. You you get in your head that the fat is funny, you know, and it's like it's such an easy crutch because you're like, well, self deprecating jokes are fucking easy, and people laugh. But I don't know. I think. Uh, I think like I think I, you get I, to the I, point where you're funny without the fat. I, you know? I still have. I know I still have my fat jokes, but, uh, but it's like, you like, it's not, that's not my whole act. That's a very small part of my act now mm-hmm. is the fat joke stuff. And that's more there just cause if you, if you don't say anything about it, people yeah. are like, does he not know? <laughs> a while back, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be the fat comedian. You know, as much as I love John Panette, I didn't want to be the, pardon me, the buffet guy, you know? Yeah. Like uh, a lot of my stories, if there's a fat joke in there, it's, it's a rare thing. I remember when Panette died, my dad called me. My dad is never really, my dad doesn't understand comedy. He doesn't understand what I'm doing. Yeah. He, he's never come to see me. He just It's just not his world. He doesn't get it. Anyway, he calls me after John Panette dies and he says, uh, you still doing that comedy thing? Yeah, Dad, still doing the comedy thing. So uh, they, I just found one of your buddies dead in a hotel room. And I went, yeah, Dad, they're going to find a lot of my buddies dead in hotel rooms. That's uh, that's how we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, don't go soon because, uh, fuck, buddy, I love you. You're one of my best friends. And, I love uh, you too. Fucking just, I don't know, it's wing night anyway. We're going to go eat some. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, man. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's start eating salads together, pal. Actually, just I've been really inspired by Funches' weight loss over the past year. I don't know if you've seen Ron. I haven't seen him uh, lately. No. Uh, he shed a bunch of weight. Just, you know, the real simple stuff, you know, like cut out red meat, walk two miles a day on an incline. And uh, his thing was, uh, you know, have uh, set up what your cheat days are going to be so you got something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I get all this done, I can have pork rinds on wednesday yeah like i know when i uh when um whenever i go on a health kick it's always uh thursday's cheat day because that's uh crown and dragon wing nights but it's hard doing what we do the road really got in the way of like because uh, 
couple years back, I was really trying to make a push to exercise more. I was going swimming with Horwood all the time. And uh, I was, you know, I was walking. I was doing stairs, like all this shit. You get a fucking road stint. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, I'm eight hours in the car. And, yeah. and, you know, by the time you get to the hotel, you're like, well, I got, you know, two hours before show and then oh, tomorrow, another eight hours in the car. So you're not getting your exercise in. And then yeah, you're eating a continental and then, yeah, breakfast eating, and then fast food on the road. You're eating whatever shit you can get your hands on after the show's done. And, mm-hmm. and then it's like, all right, well, and then get home. It's like, well, now I got to exercise twice as hard to catch up with this. And it's like, oh, but I got, uh, you know, I got another show tonight. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I I admire the guys who can who can do who can do it who get up and get up hit the hotel get up gym and hit and to the hotel gym like I always try to like if you're gonna book me put me in a in a hotel with a pool because fuck I'll <laughs> swim for days yeah yeah, yeah. it's a I, it's a good that, low that, impact that was workout. one of the uh, first road lessons you ever gave me always bring a swimsuit because you never know if they got a pool you never know <laughs> if they got a pool and it's uh, it's always in my bag. Anyway, uh, we've talked enough. We could go on for fucking days, obviously. I'm sure this conversation is going to continue down at a bar somewhere over a few pints and uh, maybe a couple chicken wings. Who knows, bud? Who knows? Um, But I would like to thank you for coming on. Uh, Thank you for everything you've done for my comedy, too. Oh, no worries, bud. You've always uh, always been a big supporter of the old potato. So I appreciate that and uh, appreciate watching you for many more years to come, hopefully. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you never know. You might die. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm feeling like I will soon. <laughs> All right, let's just go get salads. It's the buddy. curse of K Trev. You tell me. You, you tell me I'm going to die first, and then the truck hits you. <laughs> uh, well, that has been our second episode of the Potato Files with K Trevor Wilson. Uh, Trev, tell them where we can find you, pal. Uh, well, you can find me out online. I'm the only K Trevor Wilson on there. So K Trevor Wilson.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I got the K Trevor Wilson fan page, uh, Instagram at K Trevor Wilson and on Twitter at K Trevor Wilson. And of course on Crave TV's letter, Kenny and, uh, yeah, uh sex, drugs and comedy is going to be all around uh, Ontario for the month of August. And, uh, also don't forget to follow me at Moose Knuckles, uh, where I write a, a three to eight jokes a week. All right. Well, now we're going to have to, um, get this podcast up online before the end of August. There you go. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thanks for coming in and uh, thank you all for listening. Peace out. Peace out.